0: I want to speak this morning from the subject flourishing because God is growing his faith in me. Father, would you please speak to us this morning because we do want to have your heart within us because your heart within us will transform our lives and and the world in which we live. We ask that you would do that because we do want to be like our Heavenly Father. We need your help in that because we certainly can't become like you on our own. Don't even pretend we can. And so we ask you to somehow cause your word to become so impacting and attractive in our lives that we value it highly enough to set time aside every day to study it, to hear it, and to apply it and cause your heart to grow in us as a result. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Shout it out loud. Amen. Amen. Faith. Faith is persuasion, according to the word that is translated from the Greek in faith to faith. It is persuasion, credence, moral conviction of religious truth. It is the truthfulness of God, especially reliance upon Christ for salvation. It also means assurance, belief, and faith. In many translations, in this fifth chapter of Galatians, they translate the word pistis, which is the original Greek word used in Galatians 5 for faith. They translate it faithfulness. The word pistis actually means faith. So if you're using one of those translations that has translated faithfulness, let me tell you why they did that. It's because faithfulness is when you have faith, you stand for something. You understand, like God, you stand for something. And so they'll translate it faithfulness, but it's the very same Greek word that is actually translated that means simply faith. There are four types of faith. There's prayer answering faith. There are people who are unsaved that believe God for situations they find themselves in, even in their unsaved condition. They come to a crisis and need help. There are people that don't even know God that can pray with faith. That's the lowest level of faith is to pray for a need. A higher level of faith is saving faith. This type of faith is sometimes not embraced by people at the lowest level of faith who even in their unreborned again, unconverted state can still pray and get a prayer answered. I know many people that are unsaved that have told me I prayed and God did this for me. And some of them are still unsaved and ask, why aren't you a believer? And they say, man, I don't know. I just don't know if I can live it. To me, indicating that there's a higher level of faith, and that is the faith to not only be converted, but to know that you can live the life of a believer. Because you see where they come from, not knowing the word, is they believe they're going to have to live for Christ under their own power. And nobody can do that. Nobody. It's not I that live, but it's Christ who lives in me. There's a third level of faith, and that's miracle-working faith. And this is a level that even many saved people do not attain to, people that are born again. Usually there are a few in the church, and they're usually intercessors, and over the years have spent so much time in prayer, gotten to know God, and watched His faithfulness be demonstrated so many times. That if you find yourself in a situation where you need a bona fide miracle, you might not even call me, or as good as our pastors are, you might not call Pastor Donnie or the others. You might call this person that you know has an ability to touch God and could see the supernatural work. The fourth level of faith is actually superior to the other three, and it is the gift of faith, it is God's faith. The Bible calls it one of the spiritual gifts in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians and it is a gift and a gift is not something you earn and work for, it is something that is given to you and God allows you when he gives you the gift of faith, this is what it means to believe about him what he believes about himself. You see, what you must understand in studying faith is that God is absolutely convinced that he has the power to do all things. God never doubts himself. I wish somebody could say amen. Amen. Many of us second guess ourselves. God never does. He's never made a mistake, never will. Never encountered a problem he couldn't fix. With God all things are possible. He's never found a situation that even made him break out into a sweat. God knows he's God, never doubts it. And when God gives you the gift of faith, It's not human faith, it's God putting his faith within you. To experience this type of faith requires that we see things as he sees them. Amen. That's what the word of God does for us as we hear it preached and taught. It changes our perspective toward things that are going on around us and about situations in life and even toward ourselves. Things we believe and know about us. God's perspective begins to cause a change in the way we think. And this is why church attendance is so vital to your spiritual development. You can't cause these changes. Only God's Word can bring about these changes. And since your destiny can never be achieved with human faith, that is, by your own faith, there is a dimension above that that is supernatural And God created you with a destiny that's going to require supernatural participation on his part to make your destiny become a reality. You must know this, that since that is the case, you can never see your destiny completed unless you get enough of the word of God in you that it elevates you and floats your boat to that next level. I need somebody to say amen. It's also why, as I began talking earlier, You must never try to change the Word of God to fit what you presently believe, as so many do. My worldview is this, someone may say, and I don't think the Bible means this. When you change the Word of God to fit your construct, what you just did is remove that supernatural dimension, because human faith cannot make happen in your life what the gift of faith can cause to take place. It's also why I said you can't go to church too much but you can go too little. You need more of the word of God than you possibly have ever dared believe that you need it. Why? Because Romans 10 and 17 faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You don't get faith because you try real hard to have it. You don't get faith because somebody encourages you and talks you into believing. You don't get faith because you just doggedly persevere. You get faith because the word of God changes the way you look at life. Changes your belief as God puts his faith in you. Amen. And when I say faith, grows in us as a result from of God's word bringing change in our life. I don't mean like I heard about one guy it happened to. A businessman was in a great deal of trouble. His business was failing. He had put everything he had into the business. He owed everybody. It was so bad he was even contemplating suicide. And as a last resort, he went to his pastor and poured out his story of tears and woe. And he didn't go to church often, but but this day he went and he said, asked for the pastor to meet with him after the service. And when he had finished, the pastor said, here's what I want you to do, sir. I want you to put a beach chair and your Bible in your car and drive down to the beach. And I want you to take that beach chair and the Bible to the edge of the water. And I want you to sit down in the beach chair, put the Bible in your lap, pull off your shoes, and let the waves just kind of rush up around your ankles, you open the Bible and the wind will rifle the pages. But when it finally comes to stop, I want you to look down at the page and read the first thing you see and that will be your answer and it will tell you what to do. Now, I don't recommend that. This is not prescriptive. It is just a story. A year later the businessman went back to the pastor and brought his wife and children with him. The young man was in a custom-tailored suit. He, he was driving an expensive car, his wife in a mink coat the children were glowing and shining the businessman pulled out an envelope stuffed with money out of his pocket and gave it to the pastor as a donation and said this is in addition to my tithing and this will help the building campaign thank you for your advice and the pastor recognized him and said out of curiosity did you do as I suggested and the businessman replied yes I did and the pastor said you went to the beach and he said absolutely and he said you sat in a beach chair with a bible in your lap absolutely and he said you let the wind rifle the pages until they stopped absolutely and he said what were the first words you saw and the businessman replied chapter 11 I filed bankruptcy and got rid of all of those debts When I say the word has a solution I don't mean like that. There are not only four kinds of faith, there are four kinds of sight. There's an incredible story in 2 Kings chapter 6 and beginning in verse 8 through verse 13, on through 8, actually through 23, but they're going to put some of the words on the the screen for you. The king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he would meet with his generals, and they would strategize, and they invaded Israel, and he would set up an army to ambush the king of, of Israel, the king of Syria would, and his army, and every time they set up a trap, every time, the king of Israel would go a different direction. And finally, the king of Syria was so frustrated that he called his generals together and he said, I want you to tell me which one of you are for the king of Israel. Because every time we have a strategy meeting, it's like somebody's telling the king of Israel what we're planning. And they all looked at one another and said, wasn't me, wasn't me. And one guy said, king, it wasn't any of us. There's a prophet in Israel called Elijah." And when you have a conversation in your bedroom, he can tell you what you said. There's somebody that knows the heart of God. And he's the one telling the king. And so the prophet said, where's this guy at? And he said, he's in a city called Dothan. He said, take the army and you go down there. And in 2 Kings 6, verses 14, beginning, they sent horses and chariots. And notice what it said, a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God, Elisha, rose early and went outside, there was this huge army standing around the city, shields swords and spears, poised for attack, chariots, those were like tanks, you know what I mean, of the day. And the servant comes running back inside and wakes the master up and said, wake up, men of God. Alas, we're in trouble. What shall we do? And the prophet said, do not fear, for those that are with us are more than those who are with them. And he said, unless my math is wrong, it's me and you. That's two. That's a great army out there. Not an army, a great army. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And the young man looked and the mountain was full of chariots and horses of fire as angels surrounded them. So when the Syrians came down, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray you with blindness. And he struck them with blindness. And Elisha went out and said, This is not the way you guys got lost. Let me lead you the right way. And brought them straight to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel's jumping up and down. Do I kill them now or later? Do I kill them? And he said, Man, you don't kill them. Give them something to eat. And give them something to drink and send them home. And one of the greatest tests of whether you have the heart of God or not within you is what do you do when your enemy that has hurt you gets in your hand and you've got the power of life or death over that situation. And the prophet teaches the king of Israel a lesson. And because the king listened and set them down, fed them, gave them something to drink and sent them on their way, they entered into one of the longest seasons of peace that Israel ever had with the Syrian army. This story is significant in this sense. It reveals there are four types of sight. First, there's natural sight. That's what you see with your natural eyes. Walk outside. My God. We're gone. Prophet, prophet, wake up. We're surrounded by a hostile army. That's one kind of sight. You need to know up front that natural sight works against faith. An MRI in your hand. You can't deny the reality of the natural world, nor am I saying you should. But an x-ray can work against your faith. Talk on the job. The economy can work against your faith. If you're living in human faith and you don't have the faith of God yet, natural sight works against the faith that you have, which is the weakness of human faith. This is where encouragement will only go so far. Self-discipline, efforts to believe will only go so far is that when you encounter a rough situation, it shakes your human faith. I don't care who you are, human faith will be shaken. I need an amen right now. The second kind of sight is insight. And this is what you see not through natural eyes but through contemplation or the cognitive processes of the mind. This ends up providing knowledge. Natural sight produces unbelief, insight produces knowledge. Hindsight is what you see upon reflection after something has occurred, and this gives you understanding. That's the difference. Insight is you look at what you're going through and you know what's developing. And as the prophet goes through these various phases with this young man, he is teaching him the difference between natural sight, insight, hindsight, and spiritual sight. Because once this thing is all over, the young man is going to realize that because the prophet had insight, and spiritual sight and did not react to natural sight, I need somebody to say amen. The young man learns through hindsight, you, you track tracking with me, that they're going to enter into the greatest season of peace that they've ever known. Spiritual sight differs from natural sight, which produces doubt, and insight, which produces knowledge, and hindsight, which gives understanding, Spiritual sight differs in this sense. It is by revelation and it builds faith. The prophet Elijah in praying for the young man's eyes to be open was not praying for him to have natural sight. He already had natural sight. Opens the door. Oh my God. And runs back inside. He wasn't even praying that the young man would have insight or hindsight. He was praying, God, give the young man spiritual sight. You see through different eyes when you have spiritual sight. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call, what is the riches of, richness of, his, of God's glorious inheritance among believers, and what is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that He is working among us believers. Did you see that? The eyes of your heart. You see through your eyes that are natural. But God is calling believers to see through the eyes of their heart. I sometimes think, That when we teach on the subject of faith, and I've heard many sermons on faith, that we must be careful to not cause people to misunderstand what we mean. Because oftentimes sermons on faith leave the impression that having faith in faith will cause the impossible to happen. I want you to understand it's not about having faith in faith. It's not having confidence or trust that faith, is what you are is going to change your circumstance it's about having faith in God not faith in faith and conversely unbelief is not about failing to have faith in faith unbelief is about failing to have faith in God unbelief at its core is believing that God is not worthy of our trust let me explain how trust and faith are developed every single one of us in this fallen world will be wounded by people we have trusted. That we allowed to get close that will hurt us. But talking to anybody in this building that carries a scar or two, not even Jesus who was perfect got through this life without having some scars. And if he didn't, uh, the news is this, you're not going to either. Amen. And that makes us as human beings to be very slow to trust others. Faith in another person develops as we learn who that someone really is. Just a little bit on my monitor if you can help me, not on the audience mains, please. But, but we learn who that person is and slowly as the relationship grows, you know what happens? We start trusting. But what comes first? relationship. We don't let down that wall or that guard until we have relationship and then we begin to trust. Oh, I need an amen. We come to realize the person will not disappoint us or violate their commitment to us. At 49 years of marriage, I trust Jerry more than I ever have because I've got 49 years of history where she's been faithful. You know what I mean? So I can trust her. However, this is the difference between God and his relationship with us and our faith and relationship and trust in one another. With God, God says, I'm not going to let you trust me as the result of your relationship growing, and then you trust. You have to trust first, and then relationship will grow. (laughs) What comes first? Faith. Oh, Watch this. Knowing Him intimately is a process, but you don't even get started in the process, no matter how many years you've been a Christian, until you first begin to put faith in Him. It's exactly the opposite of human relationships, beloved. With people, we build a relationship first, and trust will follow. But with God, you trust first, and relationship will follow. Salvation doesn't even begin until you have faith. Romans 10, 9-10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't even get saved until you trust first. Amen. For with the heart one believes into righteousness. Where did he come from? The heart. Amen. And with the mouth confession is made into salvation. And this begs the question, why does God... Require that we trust Him before we grow in our relationship with Him. And you have to understand that it's because unbelief is not the result of God having ever failed us. Our lack of trust in one another is because another human being failed us. Or maybe someone failed you and you're having to rebuild trust now in them. But you're slow because you're not going to put your heart out there when they've already broken it once or twice or twice. And now they need to make some changes and bring forth fruits that demonstrate metanoia or change. Oh, I need an amen. Amen. But you see, faith in God was the normative state from the very moment man was created. When God pulled Adam out of the dust of the ground, Adam trusted God from the moment his eyes popped open. There's never the slightest hint that man had any doubt toward God unbelief was introduced not by God, but by Satan. He first created doubt by asking, has God indeed said you shall not eat of the fruit of every tree of the garden? And right away, he's questioning, what has God said? I need you to look at somebody and say, Satan always begins, tell them, always begins by making you doubt God's word. That's where it starts every single time. Genesis 3, 4, and then look at this through verse 5. You will not surely die. Satan said when the woman explained, yes, there's, we can have all these trees but one. And if we eat of that one, we'll die. He said, you won't die for God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Whoa, heavy duty here. Amen. Because what Satan just did is he introduced something that had never been in the world up until that moment and that's not sin. It was unbelief and it's unbelief that leads to disobedience as we're about to see. And they did die. Satan's pernicious lie and the fact that man believed it resulted in the state of distrust that you and I are born into in this world. This is what is death. It was the death of trust, the death of innocence, the death of relationship with God, the death of real potential. All of that died in that withering moment when man allowed his confidence in God to be betrayed. It was Satan who failed us, not God. And to rebuild our relationship with God, God says, let's go back to the beginning. I want you to start with trust. Because this is not something I introduced. I'm not the one who failed you. It's that guy back there, and you're making me pay for what he did to you. And we're going to start with trust, and then relationship will come. And so you say, but I can't do that. Man, i got to know God before I trust him. God said, I'm sorry on that basis. We're not going to be able to have relationship then, are we? Because I'm insisting that you start in faith, and then relationship will be built, be, be built. And you're saying out there in the audience, how can I ever possibly trust God? That's impossible if I don't know Him. Oh, really? You actually trust people every day you don't know. You ever get on an airplane? Did you know the mechanic? Do you know the pilot? I read recently that during the day, during the day, one out of every 60 drivers coming down the highway towards you is impaired by alcohol. That jumps to one out of 12 at night. And in areas with a high concentration of bars to one out of four. If you include the number using drugs, that it, that it jumps up to 22% or one out of every five driving toward you is legally impaired either with drugs in their system or alcohol. The most common drug used is marijuana. You trust them every day to stay on their side of the line. You never even think about it. Hello, somebody? According to another study, a first-time drunk driving offender has already driven drunk over 80 times before being arrested. And still another study reveals that one out of every 12, think about this while you're driving, one out of 12 drivers is either texting or using their phone in a way that is distracting and dangerous and is as dangerous as driving while under the influence. Yet we all get in our cars And drive down the highway trusting people we don't even know that are coming our way. And God's saying, if you can trust people you don't know. And every one of us knows somebody that's experienced what happened when they trusted those coming their way. Because we've lost loved ones in accidents. God's saying, hey, you ever lose anything to me? Did I ever take anything from you? I ever let you down? I ever betray you? No, we got to go back to the beginning. You say, but I still can't do it. I'm trying, man. And this is why we get hung up in the dimension of human faith rather than God's faith. In human relationship, trust is developed as a relationship grows and deepens. On the other hand, with God, a relationship grows and deepens after we trust. With humans, we believe first. or, or We believe we have relationship first and we trust second. With God, you must trust first, and relationship comes second. Limitations. This is the plea God's word makes about himself. This is what the prophet said. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope in the middle of the darkest hour that Israel ever lived, besieged by Nebuchadnezzar, people being killed, starving to death, the city being destroyed. This is what Jeremiah said, through the, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. God will never let you down when you put your trust in him. People will let you down, but God will never let you down. The, the, the nation was trusting in their armies and in their political systems and in their king and their strategy. But Jeremiah said, God, that's not going to work every time. And it didn't for Israel. But he said, great is your faithfulness, O God. I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm talking to somebody right now. But here's the good news, because you're saying, I still can't do it. It's impossible. Listen to me. God doesn't ask you to create or manufacture faith on your own. He knows that you develop faith slowly as a result of building a relationship with a person you're coming to trust. He knows that's our tendency. So you know what he does? He gives you his faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. I need somebody to shout hallelujah right now. Sam. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Just the monitor, Sam, not the mains. How does God give you faith? You say, man, I want some of that. That's the whole point. He gives it through His Word. His Word. Faith comes by hearing and that by a word from God. Again, you can't be in church too much, but you sure can be there too little. And you can't get too much of the word, but you certainly can get too little of the word. And most of us, I can tell by looking at you, you're like me. You don't eat one day out of the week. Some of us make it to the table several, t- several times in the course of a day. Some of us stay even a little bit longer than we ought to. Hello, somebody. Why is it that we are content to only feast at the table of the Lord one day a week? We go to his word one day. So how does God give you faith? And is faith really that important? Hebrews 11 and 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things not we cannot see. You see, you've got a a sense that has to be developed. We are told there are five empirical senses. No, there's more than five. You've got another sense that has to be developed. And just like people who are blind develop a sensitivity in their fingers to read Braille on an elevator door. Or a sensitivity in hearing when they walk and traffic is coming. Things you would never develop. You have to exercise that sense to cause the sense of faith to develop within you. Amen. And I'll I'll say it like that. It's the evidence. It's the reality of what we hope for. The reality is that when I get off that plane, a lot of times my little woman has a gumbo cooking on the stove when I walk in the door. But I don't even see the pot. But I smell the aroma the moment I open the door. That's the evidence there's something going on. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, somebody in the building here. I'm talking to you. And you have to have eyes of faith. You have to pray, God, open the eyes of my heart. When you see through eyes of fear, you see things differently than if the eyes of your heart have been opened by faith. Seven things that happen when you see through eyes of fear we read this incredible story in Numbers 13, 31 through 33, of men who had gone up with the Caleb and Joshua. There were twelve spies sent into the promised land, and they had gone to strategically evaluate the land and know what was the best angle to coordinate their entry and so forth. And they came back and 10 of the spies talked Israel out of their inheritance and their destiny. They gave the children of Israel a bad report. They said, we are not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we. And then they said this, the land to which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it were men of great stature. They saw the giants of the descendants of Anak, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. I want to show you what happens when you see through eyes of fear. Number one, you underestimate your own abilities. Go back to the young man. He opens the door. Oh, my God, his knees are knocking together. He's shaking. Prophet, wake up. There's a whole army surrounding our city. And the prophet says, Man, that's no problem. We can deal with this. No, we can't. Just me and you. You underestimate your own abilities when you see through eyes of fear. The same thing happened in Numbers 13. The men came back and said, we are not able to go against the people. They're stronger than we. We can't. Really? We can't? This is after God promised to give them the land. You see, they made a decision to not go by what God's word said. And to go by eyes that were natural. Oh, I'm, I'm preaching right now. I can't give to this building program. You don't know what i got going on. You don't know the bills I've got. Oh, yeah, God said if you give, He'll open the windows of heaven. I'd love to believe that. And as soon as I get out of this bind, I'm going to try it. Really. You're doing exactly what the men said. Amen. Secondly, your problem is always made to look bigger than it really is. When the young men saw the army of angels, he realized that the problem was not bigger than the help. The help was bigger than the problem. But if you don't see through eyes of faith, you don't see the angelic army. All you see is the problem. And when the ten spies came back with a bad report, notice what they said. All the people we saw in it were men of great stature. All of them. Really. The Bible said there were only a few that were tall. They came back. Every one of them is a giant. They're all giants. They're all. Look. If that had been the case, the NBA would have started years ago and it would have started in the Middle East. And not only that, they said the land devours its inhabitants. Really. Really. When was the last time you saw that happen? Just the earth open and swallow somebody up. Amen, then people, uh, be careful where you put your foot, you know. We don't want to go in that land. And then they said we saw grasshoppers, or giants rather, and we were like grasshoppers in our sight. The largest grasshopper in the world lives in New Zealand. It is called a weta. This is what it looks like. It's four inches. How would you like to have a few of those in your bed at night? Amen. They, they said next to them we're like grasshoppers. That grasshopper is four inches in height. The, if a man is six foot tall, that grasshopper is one-eighteenth his size. Which means those giants would have had to be 18 times taller than the average man. That's 108 feet tall. Have you seen any 108 feet tall people walking around? No. In fact, there have been many archaeological excavations through the years. They found houses. They found cities. They found stables. They found human bones. They found weapons. They found coins. They found pots. They found artifacts of every type. But do you know what they've never found? They have never found the remains of somebody 108 feet tall. Or a house big enough for him to live in. Or the pot he cooked his meal in. That's because it wasn't there. When you see through eyes of unbelief, your problem looks bigger than it is. Number three, when you see through eyes of fear, you become discouraged. Notice this progression. Exodus 14, 1, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and wept through the night. The few ended up discouraging the many. They talked the nation right out of it. Amen. And they got discouraged because they were talking this negative stuff. Number four, you begin to complain. In Exodus 14 and 2, they went from mourning to complaining. All the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt or in the wilderness. So you go from mourning and discouragement to complaining And the next step, verse 3, is you blame God. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So you become discouraged. You begin to complain. You blame God. And blaming God and unbelief lead to rebellion. The sixth characteristic of seeing through eyes of fear Exodus 14:4. 4, they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Wait a minute, you've already got a leader. His name's Moses. Yeah, but we need another one. We, we don't like this guy anymore. He did okay for a while. Had they forgotten how God had confirmed the leadership of Moses by sending 10 plagues upon Pharaoh? Did they forget the Red Sea party when Moses stressed out his rod? Hello, somebody. Did they forget the manna when Moses said, Go out in the morning, there's going to be angels' food on the ground? Did they forget the rock Moses spoke to, that water gushed out of that followed them all around? Did they forget the leadership that God had confirmed? And here's what happens when you begin to become discouraged and complain, and it leads to rebellion. You begin to follow the wrong people. And the next thing you know, you're talking about going backward rather than forward. And the result of seeing through eyes of fear is that you settle for less than God wanted you to have. I'd rather go back to Egypt with chains than I would into the promised land. I'd rather go back to the way things used to be than what God has for me in the future. Look, when you see through eyes of doubt and fear, it causes you to lose and settle for less than what God wants you to have. Don't you give up your destiny. Don't you give up your dream. Don't you give up what God's doing in your life. Somebody ought to shout amen. But when you see through eyes of faith, when the eyes of your heart are open with faith, there are seven things that happen. Notice, number one, seeing things through eyes of faith makes your problem smaller. When the young man looked outside and saw the angelic army after the prophet prayed for him, that army from Syria didn't look nearly so big then. And that's what happens when you get enough of the word in you. Genesis 18 and 3 or 18 and 14. Is anything too hard for God? Luke 1:37, nothing is impossible with God. Mark 10:27, for with God all things are possible. You don't walk around talking about what you can't do. Hey man, I got God on the inside. I'm not looking at things through natural eyes. I see through my eyes of the Spirit. The eyes of my heart have been opened. Hallelujah! 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 It's not my faith, it's God's faith working in me. Second, faith opens the door for a miracle. Once a young man's eyes were opened, it was easy for him to believe what would happen next. Easy for him to believe that God can confound the enemy. Easy for him to believe that the enemy was powerless before him. And this is what Mark 11 and 22 through 24 said. Jesus said, have faith in God for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them. And you will have them. You'll have that job. You'll have that house. You'll have that marriage. You'll have that money. You'll have the breakthrough. You'll see your kids saved. We'll build that building in the name of Jesus. What he's saying is there's a higher law than the laws of nature. Everybody thinks the world is governed only by the laws of nature, the natural laws. Turn to your neighbor and say there's a dimension of law that is higher than the laws of nature. It's called the law of the supernatural. Faith opens a door to the supernatural. You may not realize it, but that's even why we have the word supernatural in our vocabulary. Look it up. The word supernatural means above and beyond the natural. Whenever you step into faith, you go beyond the natural into the supernatural dimension. God can heal that disease. God can fix that home. God can turn things around for you. I'm talking of somebody that's on the verge of a breakthrough. I feel it right now. Whoa. But because we stay within the laws of nature, we don't see miracles. Matthew 13, 58, he didn't, Jesus did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. The people never stopped looking at him through their natural eyes. This is the carpenter's son. We know Mary is mama. Third benefit of seeing through the eyes of faith, it causes God to act on my behalf. Faith places a demand upon the anointing and the power of God that is all around us. Look at the story of Jesus healing the paralyzed man. Luke 5, 17 through 26. Happened on a certain day as he was teaching. There were Pharisees, teachers of the law sitting by. They had come out of every town in Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And it says, and the power of the Lord, say it, was present to heal them. Say it was present. It was there. It was in the house. The power of the Lord was in the house. Notice the Bible states the presence of the Lord was present to heal before Jesus did anything. Nobody had been healed, but the presence of the Lord was there. Nobody was placing a demand on the anointing. So Jesus looks over and sees a a man that's paralyzed and said, come here. He said, I can't. That's what I thought. Take up your bed and walk. And the man jumps up, and the whole room is going, ooh, ah, amazing. And then... the the, the whole day concludes without another miracle happening in that house because nobody placed a demand on the anointing. <sighs> That's what faith does. Faith reaches above the natural level into the super, the beyond the natural level and places a demand on the anointing and brings it down into the dimension of nature where you're living and causes a miracle to take place in your life. I've told you before, to me, the single most impressive thing in nature that I've ever seen is the aurora borealis of the the northern lights. That's what they look like. Put the other photo. They are stunning. Science claims there's enough energy in one aurora borealis display to run the power needs of the whole earth for days. And what they're trying to do... is figure out a way to tap into that well i got greater power just beyond this dimension than the aurora borealis it doesn't just run the earth for a few days it's been running the earth ever since it got here and you tap into that by faith you can't build a machine for it but if you get enough of this in your heart it will cause you to reach beyond the natural level Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Matthew 9, 29. It shall be done to you according to your faith. Number four, faith grants, grants access to all the 7,000 plus promises of God in His Word. They're like checks hidden on every page of the Bible, signed by Jesus Himself. But if you don't get that word in your heart, they're not doing you any good. 2 Corinthians 1 and 20, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. It's not up to God. If God put it in his word, it's yes, it's available. Yes, it's available. Amen. Number five, God faith turns God-given dreams into realities. When you see through eyes of faith... Dreams can become realities. Joseph had a dream. Moses had a dream. David dreamed of being allowed to see the manifest presence of God even though he wasn't born to the tribe of Levi. Esther dreamed of delivering her people. Nehemiah dreamed of rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. Zerubbabel dreamed of rebuilding the temple. And because of their faith, they all saw their dreams become realities. And we get excited about that. But I want to tell you on the supernatural, the above and beyond the limits of nature, Ephesians 3 20 says now glory be to God who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we could ever dare to ask or even dream of I'm talking about a God that not only can give you what you dream he can do more than you're capable of dreaming hello somebody Oh, I gotta close. Number six, seeing through eyes of faith gives me the courage to hold on during the difficult seasons of life. You know why I tithe and give my offerings even in the middle of a financial problem? I know that God's going to come and pull me out of it. I'm tapping into another dimension. If there's anything we learn from the story of Job, it's this that faith will help you persevere. In the middle of the problem and come out on the other side more blessed than you were when you went in it and number seven believing god helps keep me from making unwise choices because if i don't get enough of the word inside of me i'm looking at not things through natural eyes with natural sight and i make decisions about things that will affect my life look at hebrews 11 24 through 26 by faith say it by faith by faith say it again by faith natural eyes said you're living in a palace by faith god said i got more than this for you moses natural eyes said pharaoh's your daddy by faith god said i'm your daddy amen by faith hello hear what i'm talking about by faith, Moses forsook all of that in Egypt and chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked at the reward. As I quickly give you three life application points. Get as much of the word of God as you can get, number one. Look at somebody and say, get some more word. Tell somebody, get some more of the Word in your heart. Get some more of the Word in your heart. Come on, get some Word. Get some Word. Get some Word. You can't go to church too much. You can go too little. You can't study the Bible too much. You can study it too little. Get the Word in your heart. Number two, allow God to stretch and grow your faith. Come on, er, draw in close with me. Come on, people. Drawing closer, others behind you. I want to pray. God's going to elevate some faith in this building right now. Oh, there's such a tremendous presence of God in this room right now. I want you to let God stretch your faith. Stretch it. Stretch your faith. That means you're going to be in some uncomfortable situations where you're going to have a choice. You're going to look through natural eyes and you either do what the natural eyes are showing you you should do or you look at the word of God and say no I'm holding on to God God made a promise and number three grow your faith for your family get more word in you allow God to stretch your faith and then grow your word, grow your faith for your family, your career and your business and the third thing is dream big.